gonna change things up and stand on your level today. So, get to make our own rules now that Brian's gone, so. We love you, Brian. <laughs> so again, I'm Nielsen, I'm the Next Generation Pastor here at Big Sky Christian Fellowship. Um, today we're gonna be starting um, to walk through the book of Colossians, as we'll be doing for the next two months. So I get to talk a lot about the gospel, which if I could talk about that every single time I preach, that would be perfectly fine with me. So uh, we're going to start off um, in Colossians 1, 1 to 14, where Paul um, is writing this letter to the church in uh, Colossae. And he's talking about being super thankful for the church there and his family there, his family and God there. And I'm going to kind of be looking at what it looks like to be part of the family of God. Some of the things that Paul points out that make us a different people, um, different than the society around us, and that make us distinctly a part of the family of God. So let's start by reading from Colossians 1, 1 to 14. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word and of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So to kick us off, I kind of have an opening question for us. Are we as individuals and as a family, I'm going to try to use the word family as much as I can today because we use the word church so much and it kind of loses its, I feel like it's meaning after a while to us. So let's, let's use the word family. So are we as individuals and as the family, the community of God, are we rooted and growing and living in the gospel? Is that our foundation? So that's our opening question this morning. I'm going to be asking a lot of Questions. I hope to give you less information and ask more questions that help you to think about some things in your own life. I think we have tons of information out there. So let's ask ourselves a lot of questions today. And so when I say the gospel, what do I mean? I mean the good news of Jesus. I've said it before. If it's, if it's not good news, it's not the gospel. If you're hearing anything else but good news, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is the good news. And I'm going to say this about 50 times today. It means Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus plus nothing else. You're going to hear that over and over and over. So I'm sorry if you're sick of it, but at least you'll remember it by the end of the day. 
I could probably end right now. I would have said enough. But like, remember this phrase. This is where I'm going to go back to again and again today. So, um, who who grew up here in the church most of their lives? Good chunk of us. I'm I'm one of those guys, sort of a pastor's kid. Grew up in the church. Who here has just started following Jesus in maybe like the last year or so? Okay, um, last five years. Okay, how about like the last ten? 20 plus. Here's like some 20 plusers in here. Awesome. That's great. So I grew up in the church. And because of that, the gospel um, became kind of stale and lost its meaning at times. Um, I have not always been rooted in, in growing and living in the gospel. Because it's something that's become overly familiar. Um, Jesus has not always been the center of my faith. And sometimes my loyalties have become very divided between Jesus and other things, or other things I would add on to the gospel or take away from the gospel. Um, and, and some of you can relate to that probably, right? It's easy to lose sight of the real power of the gospel. And maybe it's become, for some of us, Jesus plus something else. Or Jesus has become diminished in our lives. Maybe you can find yourself in one of those separate boats right there. I think a lot of us can relate to what I'm saying probably in some way, shape, or form. So it doesn't really matter where you've started. If it's been a year or 20 years or 50 years, don't compare yourself. Don't look around today. Look at, look at God, your God, our God, and look at your heart. Um, and then we can begin to look at ourselves communally as a family and how we're living this out. So basically, what are, you know, what are you doing with what you've been given, with the knowledge of the gospel, the experience of the gospel that you have been given? And we can ask ourselves, again, another question, is our Christianity based upon anything apart from the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ? Is the person, not just the knowledge or the kind of aloof understanding of Jesus, is the person of Jesus Christ alone central and supreme in our faith, individually and as a community? If we get that question wrong, a lot goes wrong for the church, right? And in our own personal lives. Let's look at a little bit of context here about why Paul's writing this letter. Because he always was writing for a reason, right? He was always addressing something pretty specific. Um, So he's writing from a Roman prison to the church in um, Colossae. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I might say it five different ways today. So (laughs) writing to the church in Colossae. and these people are mostly Gentiles, which means they are non-Jewish believers, right? They're pretty fresh in the religious realm of things, right? They didn't come from the same background as the Jews. Um, so Paul had gotten word of this false teaching in the Colossian church, and he was writing to combat some of these heresies and some of these bad teachings that were, could possibly destroy these, these new Christians' faith. Um, so the, the false teaching was consisting of some Jewish and pagan or mystical elements. Um, so the, the Jewish elements were very legalistic, um, these insistence um, by some people that you have to observe certain days plus Jesus. You have to deny certain foods plus Jesus. You have to follow certain rituals plus Jesus. It was Jesus plus something else, not the gospel. So that was one element. And then it was essentially um, the pagan element was very mystical. It was this sense of, well, Jesus um, diminished in a lot of ways. Jesus was being depreciated. Um, so you had this sense of you have to live in this sense of asceticism or self-denial all the time. You have to um, be involved in these weird things like worshiping angels, and you have to be in this insider group that had this mystical wisdom. You had to be a part of a special group that had special knowledge to figure out how to be saved. It was not the gospel, right? It was diminishing Jesus entirely. So he's combating some of these elements. Basically, this was an early form of Gnosticism, right? Um, special knowledge to an insider group. You always know how that ends. It never ends very well when 
very narrow cults get started, right? This is kind of um, a precursor to this belief of um, this group of Gnostics, right, that came down the road. So this is kind of what Paul is addressing. Um, and clearly these were very dangerous heresies that needed to be addressed in this church. Um, and we see this main theme of this book that addresses the most dangerous heresy that I just talked about, the deprecation, the downplaying, the diminishing of Jesus Christ. That's really what all this comes down to. It was the diminishing of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of his finished work. So Paul lands hard in this book on the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in the family of God and in all of creation. That's really what he's hitting on in this entire book. And we're going to see that as we go through it. And Colossians is probably one of the most Christ-centered books in the entire Bible because he's combating this heresy that's trying to diminish Jesus. So he's steering the Colossian church back to the gospel, the undiluted good news of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's reminding them of who they are, of their foundation. And he's also reminding us, you know, thousands of years later, we can get the same message from this book and it applies to us just the same. So we as a family of God are grounded in the gospel and the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, plus nothing else, without addition. No additions, substitutes, or diminishing. So again, I'm going to talk about that over and over again today. Um, so Paul's beginning this letter with these words of encouragement to the family of God in the form of a prayer. Right? He's, he's speaking this prayer over the church. And again, he's reminding them of who they are, and we can be reminded of who we are today through this passage. So again, if you you remember nothing else today, remember that it's Jesus plus nothing else. That's the gospel. So let's dive in and look at what we see about ourselves, the family of God, in this passage. And I'd like us to think about these things individually and as a community. We can kind of look at this on both levels. I need to get some water. Okay, so first, uh, the gospel bears fruit in us, the family of God. The gospel bears fruit in us, the family of God. Looking back at verses um, 5 to 6 and verse 10, Now this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And then verse 10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay. So again, some more examination questions. Um, is the gospel bearing fruit in our lives? It's a really tough question. And if it isn't, do we really understand? Do we really know the gospel? Are we really following Jesus so, it's, yeah, hard question to ask yourself. Something we should be asking all the time. Um, and I, just, I just think, my, my, I'll say this over and over again, I think if we truly understand the gospel, um, we will live in true harmony with it, and we, we won't be able to help but say thank you with our lives in a way that's very radical and countercultural. So this is not a guilt trip, hear me out. This is not me saying, be better, be better, you know, produce fruit on your own. That's not at all what I'm saying. This is just a question to start us off with. Um, I love this quote by Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors. Um, he says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So, I don't know if that's entirely true. However, he makes a good point. Something to consider, whether that's completely true or not. The, the point is that there's something to that 
gap, right? Something really bad about that gap when it comes to people looking in on the family of God. So remember, our, our lifestyles, and this is, this is like convicting to me as I was preparing for this, our lifestyles and choices are a response, good or bad, to the gospel. And the, the crazy thing about that is we can, we can say whatever we want as a response. It's easy to manufacture a response. I grew up in the church. I can BS better than almost anybody about Christianity. Um, I got really good at it. But you know what's funny is I can control that, but my lifestyle and choices are something that is a reflection that is a true reflection. It's not something I can manufacture. It will tell the world and myself exactly who I am and what I'm made of when I look at my lifestyle and choices, which is really scary if you step back and be like, wow, this is going to be an automatic fruit of whatever I'm believing and living in because you know, a certain tree produces certain fruit, an apple tree produces apples, an orange tree produces oranges. You're not going to change that, right? So our, our lifestyle and choices are a response to the gospel, and there's no middle ground, right? Because whatever kind of tree we are, that's the kind of fruit we're going to produce, which is very sobering, right? Um, remember, it comes back to this. You know, we love because we're loved, and we obey as a response to grace, forgiveness, and salvation. So it follows, if there is no fruit in our lives, we might not truly value and understand what God has done for us, right? Again, we've been given the greatest gift. How can we not respond by saying, thank you, thank you, thank you with everything I have? Because a lot of us probably, with our lifestyle and choices, aren't responding like we actually believe that, right? We say it, but our life is not showing that we actually value what Jesus has done for us. It's like saying, like, thanks, Jesus, but I'm fine. You know, I'll, I'll do what I want. Like, thanks, but no thanks. Um, it's kind of the response that comes from that gap we have and what we say and then the fruit that's coming out of us. And again, this is not legalism. I hate legalism. This is not legalism. This is about an authentic, heartfelt, committed response to what Jesus has done for you. That's what Paul's driving at here. Um, if we truly experience Jesus, what other response is there but to say thank you, thank you, thank you with our lives? There's no other proper response. And that automatically bears good fruit, right? When we say thank you with our lives, that will bear good fruit. So what and where is the fruit in our lives and lifestyles and choices? And what does this say about our spiritual condition and our response to the gospel? So it's Jesus plus nothing else. And this gospel, this pure gospel, bears good fruit. Second, I promise it will get less heavy as we go on. Just got to start off, you know, a little, little bit of a sober start here, but it'll, it'll get better. Um, so, so second, the gospel gives us the family of God perspective. The gospel gives us the family of God perspective. So verses 9 to 11. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Let's look for a second at, at culture which brings up all sorts of interesting definitions. But um, culture is basically the, the learned and shared behaviors, beliefs, and value of a community of people, whether that's a really big community or a real small community. Everything in this world has its culture or subculture. Everyone is a part of a culture in multiple subcultures. It's just a part of life. It's a way of seeing and being in a community and in the world. A culture is the lens through which we see everything around us, see the whole world. And um, I mean, in reality, all of us are at least somewhat a product of our environment. And our view of the world is definitely 
limited by our culture, which is fine because Jesus totally reaches, with, reaches us within that. Jesus will come to us in that place. Um, but that's not an excuse because something follows that. Um, that being said, you know, what culture then do we belong to? So again, the culture is the shared behavior, beliefs, and values of a community. So is it the culture of the kingdom of God, of the gospel, or is it a culture of the world around you or nationally or locally? What culture would people identify you with? Is there a way of seeing and being based upon this world or upon the gospel? Are we first and foremost uh, a part of the culture of America or Big Sky or of our Republican or Democratic parties? Or are we first and foremost followers of Jesus and a part of the culture of the kingdom? And those loyalties get really divided sometimes, right? Is our loyalty divided? Which culture do we belong to? And those former things aren't bad. That's not at all what I'm saying. But do they equal or surpass our commitment to the culture of the kingdom and the culture of Jesus? And man, I'm so guilty of this. I live in Big Sky. I get caught up in the materialism and the culture of my local place of residence. Like, it's so easy. But man, we can't have divided loyalties and what culture, what society, what kingdom we're following. Mm-hmm. And we can ask ourselves too, who, who is leading us? What is leading us? Where are we getting our information and our worldview? We're so subtly influenced without realizing it, man. What's informing your decisions and the way that you live? Are you being led by your broader culture and society? Again, national, local, whatever that means. Is it your entertainment choices, which are so subtly destructive to most of us? I have to be so careful what I watch, what I put into myself. Is that informing my decisions? Is it your political party? Is it your president? Is it your preferred news sources or commentators? What's informing the way you live? What are you feeding off of? What culture do you belong to? Or is it the wisdom of God? In Jesus and the gospel, which is often very countercultural. Through what lens do you see the world and what family are you a part of? So, first and foremost, we have to be informed by the wisdom of God, which is shown in Jesus and the gospel. Our perspective should be based on the ways of God and not men. And it's tough in these days with things like shootings and natural disasters and people we're unsure about it. But if our primary way of seeing the world is based in fear, and anxiety or control, if it's an us versus them mentality, if it's, um, if it's any of those things, it's not God's perspective, right? Those things cannot be God's perspective. If it's, oh, I only look out for me, or what can I get for myself in life, or I, I can take care of myself, I'm self-sufficient, or people get what they deserve. If that's the way we see the world, it's not God's perspective. That's not the culture of the gospel, and how many times do we get caught up in that way of thinking is completely opposite of what Jesus teaches us in the gospel. So the belonging to the family of God means a new, different way of seeing ourselves in the world. Our primary cultural identity is in belonging to the family of God and living according to the gospel. And that's really hard in this day and age, I think, with all the information and other ways of seeing the world that are around us. Who's ever been to a foreign country culture and nation. It felt really out of place. I'm sure you can think of a great story right now. You're just like, oh, that was so awkward. That was so weird. I had no idea what was going on that, you know, when someone's asking you, um, saying something, you know, the language and you're nodding yes, hoping it's a yes or no answer. Like, I think it's a yes or no question, I hope, because I'm just going to nod. I've, d- I've been in that situation so many times. Um, 
this could happen even in America, right? Certain places of our country were just like, what are they doing? This is America? Like, what the heck? So I think we've all experienced this, whether we've been out of the country or not. Uh, I remember living in Thailand for six months and how hard it was to not know the language, especially Thai, which is like completely, completely foreign, like not even a similarity, you know, like one word can have five different meanings because there's five different tones, like really? Okay, so I remember feeling that way. And I just couldn't figure out the language. I was trying to figure out why they did the things they did, why they lived the way they did, their, their learned you know, behaviors, beliefs, values. I couldn't figure it out. I was essentially a stranger and an alien in the former sense of a word. Um, and the point is this. This is how it should be for us as Christians, I think, in some ways. Not in a sense of detaching yourself from the world, but we should be so rooted in the culture of, of the kingdom that we are basically foreigners and aliens in our own society. How crazy is that? We should feel that level almost of discomfort like being in another country in another language because we're so rooted in the culture of the kingdom that we feel kind of foreign. And not because we're trying to detach ourselves, but because we can't help but be foreign because we're following a different society, different way of seeing and being. Culture informs everything, so we better be sure about what culture and society we're primarily a part of because it will inform your way of seeing things and you'll never realize it. Because it's so subtle and you don't think it's different because you think it's normal, right? So we have to be informed by the right culture. We should feel alien in our own society, I think, to a certain extent. And Paul says this in in Hebrews 11. Um, He talks about certain prominent old covenant figures. So Paul Paul is a proponent of this kind of thinking because he said about these men, these all died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. You could say better society, better culture, better kingdom. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So it's Jesus plus nothing else. And in that gospel, that gospel provides perspective, provides the right perspective. Number three, we, the family of God, stand holy. When I say holy, I mean entirely, completely, only, whatever word you want to use there, on the gospel, the finished work of Jesus. So here's the really good news. Those are some tough things to think about, but here's, here's the good news, the best news of the day. We stand holy on the finished work of Jesus Alone. That's it. Nothing else added. Nothing taken away. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So verses 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what are we individually and as a community standing upon? No matter how long you've known Jesus, no matter how long you've been coming to church, what's your foundation? I'm asking myself this question. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me just as much here. Any other foundation or focus or investment, any other joy or fulfillment will fail us ultimately. Man, I love a good bike ride and I love a good time on my snowboard, but man, that always leaves me feeling the same at the end of the day. It won't cut it. If our hearts are given mainly to anything or anyone else, I think we lose that sense of being the family and the community 
of God. We lose the salt and the light the world so desperately needs if we walk away from this foundation. We're something else entirely. We're no longer the church as Jesus wants the church to be. So it's not, again, what we know. It's not this information about Jesus that so many of us get bored of and get distance from and lose sight of. It's not about the information. It's, it's who you know. It's not what you know about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? Like if Christianity is just what you know about him, then it's not a very fun thing to be. A Christian is not a very fun thing to be if it's just a bunch of information about Jesus. But man, if you know Jesus, it would change your life and the lives of people around you who are desperate for something. It's who you know, not what you know. And remember, Christianity is the only major religion that promises and gives and guarantees salvation apart from what you do. It's, that's radical in the world of religion, right? It's the only truly good news, right? It's not this pie in the sky. It's tied to something real, historical, someone who actually lived, someone who actually died, who actually rose again. This is not this pie in the sky, right? This is real. It's tied to time and space and history, flesh and blood. That's why it's such a beautiful thing, right? It's Jesus plus nothing else. The person of Jesus, not the knowledge of Jesus, the person, the experience of Jesus plus nothing else. So as a, as, a, as a family of God, again, if our foundation is anything or anyone but the gospel of Christ, there, I don't think there's any real eternal fruit that's going to come of anything. Um, I, I just think, you know, all the good ideas that we have, the good programs, the good church services and gatherings, all of our really good efforts and works and growth, uh, man, apart from the foundation of the gospel, it's scary, but I don't think they, they amount to a whole lot if they're separated from the gospel and from the foundation of Jesus. And that's kind of a scary thing to say, but I think it's true. And I'll say that over and over again. If it's separated from the gospel, those things don't count for a whole lot in the end. If we get away from Jesus. And I think something is important to remember here, especially in our day and age when hostility sometimes towards what we believe is is growing at times. Um, Sometimes doing things our way looks like winning from the outside, even to ourselves. Doing things in the flesh, doing things our way, it looks like actually really good. It looks really successful, but it bears little to no eternal fruit if Jesus is not the front and center. So let's be honest then, on the other side of that, sometimes following Jesus looks a lot like actually losing on the outside, even to ourselves. Doing it, doing it the way of Jesus might mean you lose from the outside perspective. But it's the only way if we're going to be authentic to the gospel that Jesus has given us and shown us. It doesn't matter how much we lose it to everyone else. If you're authentic to the gospel, that's what matters. That's what matters. So let's keep that in mind when things look like they're accomplishing nothing. If we're doing it the way of the gospel, it cannot fail eternally. It cannot fail, and it will not fail in your life and in, the, in your ministry and whatever you're doing in your life. It, it can't fail because it's the gospel, because it's truth. I love what Francis Schaeffer says about this. He says, in this, in this war, if Christians win a battle by using worldly means, they have really lost. On the other hand, when we seem to lose a battle by waiting on God, in reality, we have won. Is not the central problem of our generation that the world looks upon the church and sees it trying to do the Lord's work in the flesh? This was written quite a while ago, but I could probably apply that to my life and some parts of the church today, right? I'm convinced of this truth. If you give, just give people the gospel, give people the good news of Jesus, the person of Jesus, give them a family to come into, give them true discipleship, and I, and I know the Holy Spirit will take care of everything. 
Like, that's all we got to do. Because the Holy Spirit changes people. We don't. Like, the Holy Spirit changes me. I can't change myself. I, I cannot change myself apart from the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of great people who don't know Jesus, but there's not that eternal, internal change happening, right? I really believe that. I can't change myself apart from the Holy Spirit. I can't change somebody else. So don't try to change them. Just give them Jesus. Yeah. Don't try to change your lives for them. Just give them the authentic gospel. And I think you have people flooding, honestly, to the church and to, to you. If you just kind of like cut to the core of it, that's what people really need and what they really want. Maybe not 10 other things on the side. I'm just saying, we're all busy. Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. Amen. <laughs> so the pressure's off for us, right? This is awesome. The pressure is totally off, right? This isn't moralism. This isn't legalism. Everything's taken care of in the person of Jesus. All we have to do is just say, all right, I receive it. I don't have to do anything else. I just say, all right, I receive it. And that is going to automatically transform my life if I say, all right, I receive it. I'm going to say thank you with my life. And, and man, it bugs me when people, people think that this will cause laziness. Like, oh, it's like you got you to gotta like add something to that. You got to like have a little bit of expectation. Otherwise, people will be lazy. It's the opposite response of laziness. If you truly embrace the gospel, it will produce the opposite of laziness. I can't stand people say that. Because I wasn't really a Christian until I understood this concept. I was lazy before I understood this concept, not after I understood it. Right? Because I could never match. You can never, you can never match up. So you get lazy and apathetic because you cannot be good enough. But if you receive it, it produces action. It produces obedience. I wasn't an obedient, active Christian until I understood that it's a free thing. So I get to just say thanks with my life. How awesome is that? Like I can just preach the gospel every time and be so happy. It's the best. It produces action and obedience, not laziness, if you truly embrace the gospel. And I'm, I'm just convinced that life with Jesus is the best, most authentic, most exciting way to live. And unfortunately, I don't always live that like that's true. And I want to live more like that's true, because I really do believe that. It's the best way to live. So like, we should look like and act like we're saved. We should have some, probably some joy and some, some fruit, because we really believe this, and we're really grabbing a hold of it. So... Let's live and look like we're saved. You know, let's really believe and live like the gospel is true. So in conclusion, let's wrap this up. Our fruit, focus, and foundation is to be in the gospel of Christ alone. I said it a million times this, this morning. So I'm going to speak, I hope, to some of us specifically this morning um, to finish off. So I think for some of us, there's the first boat. It's been Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus obedience. Jesus plus service. Jesus plus giving, plus performance, plus external and internal expectations. For some of you, following Jesus has become sort of a burden because either you've added requirements on yourself that Jesus hasn't, or others have put things on you that Jesus never has. And you're burned out because you just cannot be good enough. This was me before I really understood the gospel. I grew up in a Christian home. Like, I had all the information. But man, like, until I got that, like, I he was either burned out from trying super hard or I just gave up and was apathetic because I couldn't be good enough. You're either going to be the burned out Christian or the super apathetic Christian because you can't be good enough. If you're that person, um, that's, that, that, that's what's going to happen to you at some point. That, that's what happened to me. Because it says that Jesus is not quite enough. There must be something else I have to do on top of what Jesus has done. And that is 
that is a recipe for burnout in a Christian's life. Thank God he's, that Jesus saved me from that. Or I probably wouldn't be following Jesus anymore. Man, that, that is the most freeing thing if you, can, if you can just get that. It's so freeing to not live under that burden when you understand Jesus has given you a free gift and you just get to say thank you. And there's another boat of us too, I think, here besides that. There's, there's, for some of us, maybe it hasn't been Jesus, period. There's never been Jesus for many reasons. Maybe just unbelief and doubt have kept you from, from him. Maybe it's a fear and anxiety of what it means to follow him and what that looks like and what that might ask you to give up. Maybe it's a refusal to believe that Jesus is who he says he is because he's pretty exclusive in what he says, right? It's pretty hard to beat around that. He says, I'm God in flesh and the Savior and the only way to the Father. Maybe that's just too exclusive for some of us. Maybe for others, it's Jesus' one way of many ways and one God of many gods. Maybe it's a mixing of your world and his world and wanting the best of both worlds. And man, that's, that's a struggle for me to this day. Wanting the best of both worlds. Maybe it's making a God in your image that's comfortable, that makes you feel good, that never challenges you, that never asks anything of you. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's selfishness and independence. Maybe just pure apathy. Maybe it's being self-sufficient. And so for some of us, I think it just we haven't been able to come to Jesus at all because we're just not sure if we can take him seriously. Is this true? Is this is Jesus is who he says he is? If it is, it's demanding response, but I guarantee it's worth it. Yeah. It's it's the most fulfilling life you're gonna live. So both of these approaches though say that Jesus isn't enough. One adds on to Jesus and one attempts to diminish Jesus. They're both not the gospel, right? Jesus plus anything else or Jesus minus anything else is not the gospel. So again, it's Jesus alone, Jesus plus nothing else. Religion is trying to say that Jesus isn't enough. You have to do something on top of what Jesus has done for you. It's Jesus plus you. And then there's the world and our flesh that say, Jesus is kind of irrelevant. He was just maybe a good human being, um, but he's kind of irrelevant to life. He was just, he was just another guy who thought he was someone and wasn't. There's two approaches there. So let's get back to our foundation, right? Um, I love this quote. It says, My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. So let's land on that. Is this your deepest awareness and deepest identity? That you are deeply loved by Christ and have done nothing to earn it and deserve it. It's the only path to peace and wholeness and fruit, I believe, is that awareness. I think some of us today need to be reminded of our truest identities according to the gospel. You've been informed by either your society, by parents, by kids, by friends. You've been damaged by the way that others have identified you. You're damaged by the way that you identify yourself. Self-criticism, self-hatred, anxiety, fear, depression. You have identified yourself in a way apart from the gospel or others have identified you and you have taken on that identity that's apart from the gospel and it has damaged you. All of us are damaged in some way like that. But guess what? We can remember that our deepest awareness is I am loved by Christ. I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. It's unconditional. We can find that wholeness and peace when we remember what the gospel, what Jesus says about us. Amen. I think that's when the world's going to be attracted to the family of Jesus. And we live in that place. And Jesus wants to be not just a God. He wants, to, he wants to be your father. He wants to call you a son and a daughter. For some of us, that even has baggage, calling him father. 
but he wants to be a perfect father. And not only does he love you, it's this vague idea of like, oh, God loves everyone. But when you say that God likes you, that's a whole other element, right? We have to love everybody. But man, to say God likes me means that he wants to be like my pal. Like love is this vague thing we say about God. But when he says, when God says, no, I, I actually like you, it means I want to I know you on a very personal friendship level. So let's think about it in that way too. I guarantee this truth of, of God will change your life and other people's lives if you let it. So I'm going to end with this quote and the worship team can come on up um, and then pray. So perhaps the most fundamental religious question I can ask myself today is do I really believe the good news of Christ, of Jesus? Do I hear his words spoken to my heart? Shalom, be at peace. I understand your fears, your failures, your brokenness. I don't expect you to be perfect. I've been there. All is well. You have my love. You don't have to pay for it. You don't deserve it. You have only to open and receive it. You have only to say yes to my love, a love beyond anything you can intellectualize or imagine. Let's pray. Lord, I think um, some of us who are here for the first time or have been here for a while are just not sure why we keep coming back. We're not sure what's drawing us. I think some people just aren't sure why they're even thinking about religion or about Jesus or about God. But there's something that's bringing some of us back here. And some some of us are just wondering why we're here. And um, I pray you you would show those who are wondering, asking those questions, how much you've been pursuing them. And that you would you would you would heal their image of you, of God, of, of the Father, and of themselves this morning. And that for those of us who've never really heard the good news, Lord, that we would have a healed image of ourselves and a healed image of God and a true revelation of who God has shown himself to be in Jesus Christ. That they would, they would look past all the garbage they've been fed by people in the world about you. That you would cut to the core and the purity and the holiness and the love of, of who you are, God, that they would, they would be willing to look past all the, all the, the images they build up inside their minds of, of God and of Jesus and see the reality of the, of the purest, most infinite form of love and grace they couldn't even imagine. And all the longing that they've had for someone to identify them as they are meant to be identified, as someone who is loved and valuable because they exist. God, God, you would speak into their, to the broken images of those who are here this morning who need to be healed of their image of themselves as well, God. That an image, a full image of you, God, would bring them a full image of themselves this morning. That because you are perfect and perfectly loving, that because you made them in perfect love, God, that they are perfectly lovable. And that they have value simply because they exist. And they are not identified according to the, the people around them or their parents or a father or mother or a sibling or friend who betrayed them. And Lord, uh, for those of us who have been walking with you for a long time and who have lost sight of why we even believe what we believe and we've got stuck in the knowledge and lost the person of Jesus, I pray that you would bring us back past all the knowledge, past all the things we know, past the dryness, past the the staleness, Lord, and we would come straight to the person 
of Jesus, Lord, that you remind those of us who've been walking as Christians for a long time, Father, why we are Christians and who we follow, not what we know, but who we follow. So for those of us who just need a reminder this morning, God, would you just remind us, Lord? And I pray that as our response, would it would be just thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't help but follow you with my life because you, you have been so good to me. You have given me this free gift, so I just pray we would choose to say, God, I respond with, with my obedience. Not out of legalism, not out of obligation, but because I want to, because I can't help it, because you have been so good to us. So Lord, I pray for whatever boat we find ourselves in today, Lord. Lord, bring us back to the person of Jesus. Heal our image of you, Jesus, and of the Father, Holy Spirit, and heal our image of ourselves, Lord, so that we can walk in this wholeness and this way of seeing and being in the world, this, this kingdom of the gospel. And I pray that those who get something this morning would not just brush it off as an um, as imagination, as psychological, as merely emotional, that they would pursue the person of Jesus that they glimpsed today. They would not write it off as something that's merely just inside of me, that they would see Jesus and they would walk out of here and pursue the person of Jesus and know it's real. Lord, heal our image of you and heal our image of ourselves today, Lord. No matter how long we've been following you or not following you, just thank you that it's the same gospel for all of us. So thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And um, we're so thankful. Amen.